we're going to say in a few minutes. We're going to say kinas for the shaya, from the Baba Rebbe, from the Shwab, Shchanel of There's a kina also that's printed in many of the kinas now. The kina that was composed by a very remarkable person. I'm sure many of you have read about him. His name was Rabbi Chaim Michal Doiv Weismandel. He was called Rabbi Michal Ber. He was Nifter in 1957. He was the son-in-law and the closest Talmud of one of the great of Czechoslovakia from before the Mulchama, Rabbi Shmuel David Unger, the Nitra Rav. This Rabbi Michal Ber, Rabbi Weissmandel, possessed a remarkable mind, Chiddush of a, of a mind. Some of you, probably all of you know about these different codes that they have, that they came up with later with computers, Rav Michalbeer was the first one without a computer, with his own mind, that began to realize these jumps and leaps of letters in the Torah. And there's a whole sefer that he wrote on this Indian. He was a, a genius of a, of a Chachem, of the highest, highest order. And he had a very gentle, poetic heart as well. As you can see from this kina, I'm going to read to you just a few sentences from the kina. It might, I think it's, it might be printed in the, uh, in the art scroll. For Weissmandel. Those of you who are familiar with that name know that it was during the years of the Holocaust that Rav Weissmandel became one of the greatest heroes in the history of the Jewish people with his effort to rescue to rescue the Jews of Slovakia, of Hungary. And the Messias Nefesh, together with a few other people, which is a huge part of the history of the Holocaust. There are a number of books that have been written, Karasi Vein Oynem and Hametzar, and others that are written, translated into English, other languages, about this about this wondrous Chiddush of the Tzaddik Rav Weissmandel. It's hard to believe when you read about it. This is a person who had never left the, the four Amas of the Yeshiva his whole life. And the, and the different strategies that he used and that he tried, he saved many, many Jews, but ultimately the project that he was working on to really bring about a great rescue of the Jews of Slovakia and Hungary, that that failed. That failed. When the Sivas Nefesh, Oyum Venoyer, the no words, and it's very Kedai to read books about Ravais Mandel. I'm sure there are many things that are also on the computer about Ravais Mandel. Now he, he had undertaken a very terrible business of conducting business with the Nazis. 
And his plan was, and there were strong indications that from previous smaller successes, that the only way to save Jews was by buying Jews. It was with money. As the German war effort was falling apart, as it was failing, and it was falling apart, they were desperately in need of money. And Rav Weissmandl, together with some others, a remarkable woman, is such an interesting collection of people. Going Eulam to secular people, and they were together in this effort. So Rav Weissmandl and the others believed that the only way to rescue what was left of European Jewry was to bribe the Nazis. And there were huge sums of money in the most half a dick way that, that the Nitro was working to all different channels. Remember who he was and where he was to raise money for this effort. At the end of September in 1944, he was he was negotiating with the Nazi who was who was appointed by Eichmann Yamach Shema to conduct these discussions with Rav Weissmandl, a Nazi by the name of Brenu Yamach Shema. And Rav Weissmandl, Rav Mechelber, became very heated. They were talking, they were arguing over Jews and money and so on, and Rav Weissmandl became very, very heated. The, the, the Russia was backing, was backing out of something that he had promised, and Rav Weissmandl was getting very heated. And he made a terrible mistake. Tzadik, he was so angry that he pounded on the table, on the, on the Nazi's table, on the, on the office. He, he was smack on the table. At that point, Brenner went out of his kalim. He started screaming. He went nuts. And he screamed at them to take him away. And not only him, but to take away him to get his family that they were able to, they were in hiding. It was a whole, it's a whole story how they were surviving. But to take away, to take away Rav Weissmann to get his family and that they to be taken immediately to Auschwitz. On the next transport, they to be taken to Auschwitz. And Brenner Yamach Shemot sent special instructions up ahead to Auschwitz that the famous rabbiner, the rescuer of the Jews, is to be given special treatment when he would arrive for him and his family. Rabbi Smandl somehow smuggled a tiny little saw onto the into the cattle car where he was being taken with his wife and his children to Auschwitz. And he was able and he was able to cut through some beams that were in the in the train. And his plan was to try to escape to get back to Pressburg, to get to Pressburg. And in Pressburg, from there, to meet up with the Jewish underground and to continue somehow, in a different way, to continue somehow to rescue Jews. This was his plan. He had tremendous connections all over the world, which in the end was not came to nothing, but at the end. 
That was his plan to get back to Presby. He was, he was terribly, terribly torn, as we'll see in a moment. He was terribly torn, but what to do? Because his wife and children were on the train, were with him. They were not able to jump out of this hole. I mean, the other people were afraid to do it also. He was a gibber of a person. I don't understand. He was, if you see the pictures, he was a, a pale, bent-over Talmud for those who read the biography, or the, the not the biography, but the story of the Baba Rebbe during the war, know that, that there were kaiches, these tzaddikim had kaiches, there were superhuman kaiches. And a vice mandal finally made the cheshman that he has not cries for, for thousands and hundreds of thousands of Jews that he still was hoping to be able to rescue. And he said goodbye to his wife and children. And he jumped out of the cattle car. So Maise, what happened to him afterwards and what was going on until Nisim Benisim Benisim Beniflois. He was able to get to Presbury. This is really one of the most unbelievable stories of the Holocaust. So the Nitro was able to get to he was able to get to Presbury. In the meantime, the word got back to Brenner and the other Nazis that the train arrived at Auschwitz and there was there were many Jews who had died in the train that's Beseder but there was one famous Jew who was missing from the train that Reis Mandel was not on the train orders were sent out from Brenner's office <clears throat> all over with a tremendous reward that was offered to anybody who would catch and kill Ramechobir. And Ramechobir, again, the Nisim and the Flos, remained in this bunker in Pressburg with something with a telegram or a phone. I don't know what he was doing over there. And he continued working on the, whatever he could do, on this project. And the Germans couldn't find him, Ramechobir. He was liberated. He was liberated. And he arrived in America, a broken, lonely person in 1946. And he opened the Nitri Yeshiva in Mount upstate, a short time after he arrived. He opened the Nitri Yeshiva. My cousins learned the Nitri All my cousins. He opened the Nitri Yeshiva. And in 1950, in 1950, Vice Mandel wrote a he wrote a kina over the Holocaust that consists of twenty six stanzas that equal the name of Hashem, the Shem Havai. Each one has four lines the Shem Havai, the Shem Yudkevavke. And it's a kina it's a kina that it's about the loss of Yiddishkeit, the destruction of the of the world and the yeshiva that he knew, uh, the yeshiva of his father-in-law and so on, all that was taken. But it's also very personal. This, it has sentences here and there that are very personal over his own losses. And it's very clear, as you'll see, from 
these few sentences that I'll share with you, it's very clear that throughout those remaining years of his life, this person who had saved, who was able to save thousands, if not tens of thousands of Jews, never forgave himself, never ever forgave himself for abandoning, but he felt abandoning his family. Even though, even though he went, he didn't go there to save his own skin, he ran back to Pressburg. And, but he, he, it's clear that he never, he never was able to forgive himself. There's a sefer that was written by a person, Yaakov Fuchs, who has written a number of very important books on the Holocaust. This entire sefer, which is uh, 125 pages, is a commentary. It's a parish on this on the kinas, on this kina of the, of of Mechelber. It's it's very kedai. It's very kedai to, to 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 see to learn. It has also some of the background of his life and other things and some letters that he wrote and. And then it's a commentary parish. It's very hard. The lesson is very, very hard. It's an amazing thing. He never, he never, he never took Yivrit Bivrit either. You'll see in a second. He went to Yeshiva. They didn't do Yivrit Bivrit in Yeshiva. And I was, uh, I told you last night that I was, I was on Shavuos of Thomas. We went with the family. It was in Yad Vashem. And I've been there many times over the years. But there were some new things. There were some new old things and I was just talking to my wife last night trying to piece it together because there was so much there and it was such a short time and the kids didn't feel well one of the children wasn't feeling well and was... but those who have been there recently because I, I, I was in Yad Vashem last year or two years ago I remember and I, I didn't see this particular film you know the different, different rooms they have films of interviews with Eden they have there with, with Rav Lau's brother interview. They put more. They 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 they, they put more things from the, from even the Hashem mitzvahs. There was one. There was one in particular. There was one interview that that I found very very disturbing. It was not a from guy. And. I also saw the difference. We felt the difference. My wife and I told me there's a difference between a person who has Yiddishkeit to strengthen him. Again, no one's judging. I'm not judging this person. But there's a difference when someone has a Muna. There's another year there that was from, um, there was, there was in Kovna, that was interviewed, a from person. And the whole difference between the two people was so shocking. This one fellow, this one survivor, got on the screen, and I've never seen anything like this in my life. Maybe some of you remember this. I can't put the whole thing exactly together, but the error, what happened was like this. He gets on the screen, and he said that I was 15 years old. I don't remember what town. I was 15 years old, and um, he says, I want to tell you, I'll tell you, they came to interview, and he says, I'll tell you, there are things that I did during the war that I'm not proud of. I'm not proud of. But I'm a human being. And at that time, all I cared about, he said, I'm going to tell you the truth, all I cared about was surviving. I didn't care about anything else, just to survive. 
And he said two things. He said that for whatever reason he was missing his cap. Maybe some of you remember this. He was missing his cap. And the Germans over there had a rule that in the morning, in the concentration in the morning, when you line up, if you're missing your cap, they kill you. That bothered them, the cap. So he said, he told, he, this, he's, he's still alive, this fellow. And he said this to, on the screen. He said this to everybody. And the way he said it, he said that I was missing my cap. And the rule was that if you come to line up without a cap, you get killed. Not shyly. So, during the night, I crawled around. Everybody was exhausted from working. I crawled around, and I found the Jew whose cap had slipped off his head. And I stole it. I took his cap. And the next morning by lineup, I was wearing a cap, and, I, and they started screaming at somebody who wasn't, and it was a bullet. And he said, I didn't turn around. I didn't want to see. But I also didn't feel nearly any guilt about it. That's just survival. I got the hat. Now I survived. But then he said, there's something, however, I must tell you that I, I'm living with my entire life. He said, that I could live with. There's some things I'm not able to live with. I don't remember the lush, but like that, my whole life. So that they were taking us, and I was with my father, and my father was already ice mensch. And anybody that anybody that falls down, anybody that falls down, they they the Nazis killed. And he said he didn't cry. He just looked at the camera and said, "I was with my father, and and he fell down." And he was holding me. And he said, I didn't go down to help him, even to try to pull him up. I left my father on the ground. The Germans came and they killed him, and I continued. And he said, with this my whole life, I'm not, I'm, it's hard for me to live. For the rest of my life, I'm living with this. And I let my father go to live with this. There's a piece of the Indian of the Holocaust. I mentioned it a little bit last year at the end of Canis. There's a piece that can't be really written up. And it can't really be in any way. I mean, nothing of the, of the Holocaust can be given over, like I was talking about last night. It can't be. But there's a certain point uh, <clears throat> that in many ways is the most horrible of all. And last year at the end, some of you might remember, we were talking a little bit about this from uh, Dr. Farbstein's book. There was something. How the survivors continued. Last year we spoke about just the difficulty in the seas of that time after the war, which only now they're writing more about. The survivors. What happened after the Muhammad? What won't be written till Mashiach comes, and even when Mashiach comes, I don't know how is it possible that it should be put into words, are the thoughts of the survivors of what could they have done, maybe, maybe, 
to save other members of their family. Of what could they have done, maybe, maybe, to, to save another Jew, a husband, a wife, a child. Once on Yom Kippur, many years ago, we were, I think we were in the gym. Some of you might remember that I read to you there was, this, there was a, a nice that happened during the Muhammad. There was a German had some fun with the mother. There was a, on a, they, were, they were taking on a, on, a, on a car, on a truck. They were taking away her two children. And she started to scream to save, to rather to, to, to save her child, children. And the German said, you could take one. You could take, he said to the woman, you could take one. And she took one of the, she took, she moved to, she took one child and the other one was screaming and screaming and crying. Mama, mama, and she said, I took that child. The, tal, the child that she was able to save that time ultimately died during the war. And she met the one who survived. The one on the truck survived. A person could go out of his mind thinking about that. Out of one's mind thinking about that. You know, you and I, we sometimes feel regret. I should have bought that house on the corner of uh, Maple and Pine or something. I should have invested in that business. I should have, I could have, I didn't. You have to think of such a thing, what it means. But this he was able to look at the camera to say that I'm living this my whole life. I left my father to save my skin. I didn't even bend down to pull him. I just kept on going. To live with that. Who could say over? Oh, who's going to write a Megillah of such a thing? So a little bit of a taste of that Megillah. I'm going to share with you just a few sentences. It's late. It's the time. We're going to finish in five minutes. From the words of Tzadik Yisrael Eilam, of Mechaber Weissmandel. Whoever can get the Sefer, it's called Kinas Min HaMeitzar by, by uh, Yaakov Fuchs. Be, uh, I got a tremendous amount out of it. I'm sure you would also. It's, it's hard, I mean, but it's, it's Kedai. It's very, very Kedai. Let me just read to you a few sentences and then we'll say some kinas. It's hard to believe he said these things. Listen carefully. Forgive, please forgive. Forgive me. Hashem. You're a God. You told us that you look after the welfare of those who are being pursued, the nirdav, the underdog, the one who's being chased. I'm a person who is pursued. Now, during the war, Rav Weissmandel was the number one public enemy of the entire, of entire Nazi Third Reich. He was the number one person they were trying to catch. He didn't consider himself a near-deaf during the war. This is after the war, 1950. He says, Kappa, Kappa na I'm such a near -deaf. It chases after me every day of my life. He says, forgive me. It's the shame is a plate he says, those of us who survived, he's asking for forgiveness for those of us who survived. And the Nazis aren't chasing us anymore with rifles and with German shepherds. We're being chased by our guilt. There's a man that saved so many people. Couldn't save his family. Forgive the sin of the Nirdafim. 
of the survivors who are still being pursued by their memories, by their nightmares, by their guilt. He says, remember me, a father who's a sinner and who rebelled against you. Remind me and remember me, a father, the schus of my children, who were burned. The names of his children were Yehudas Bela, Magalus Nachama, Yosef Yaakov, Rivka, Shalamis, and Esther Hindel. mention their names. Remember, and, and he explains to her, help me to always remember. And this is why he was a Nirdaf, he couldn't forget. Remember the pureness of my children's spirit. Remember how pure they were. I shall believe Imam. And remember the, the pureness, the tahar that was in the heart of their mother, of my wife. We should mention her name. The Rebson Rocharach. And I can't believe this next thing he says. And he said, because of the father who hasn't yet done tshuva, don't cause any pain for my children and my wife and Shemayim just because of their father who's guilty. Because of their father who hasn't done tshuva. Don't hurt them in Shemayim. Can you imagine? He couldn't stop thinking about that night that he jumped off the train. So how did he continue with his life? A man that's living like this, how did he continue? Listen, what gave him the courage to continue, which I feel bad, because the person, that, that person in the film, in Yad Vashem, didn't have this. He must have found some other way, like everybody, not everybody, but some did, some didn't. But, but listen to Michael Bear. And to all those who survived, and remain after the furnace, after the crematorium. Slach no dynamis. Forgive, please forgive us, true judge. So hidden. Mechalonu, forgive us. Haboydudim bayar. Haboydudim bayar. The lonely ones from the forest, meaning those who escaped and somehow survived, and we were wandering through the forest. We pachad eretz nisayin. He said, "Forgive us. Forgive us. There are no nisayinus." He said, "We survived. We managed to get through that." And we were able to we were able to get out of the terror and the fear of that land of tests of the Nisyanis that we went through. 
He says, and to remember the pure neshama, whose name is sealed upon this house that we're in. He's speaking about his father-in-law, the Niter of, of Unger. And he says, just to finish, I'm sorry, slay. He says, And if we have remained alive, on the shore of this Tahaim, how do you translate abyss, Tahaim, I don't know, of blood, those of us Nishanu were alive, we look like we're alive. The Shetef Zerem Dema Hamevakim. Don't think we haven't stopped crying. We're constantly crying. Our tears, he says, are mixed together with the blood of all those who were murdered. There's a shepherd, Zerim, a river of tears, he says, that are mixed together, that are, these tears are merging with the <coughs> rivers of blood. And he says, so then how can we go on? Living this way, the survivors, how do we continue? Now, this is where that Jew's film stopped. He just looked with a blank look at the camera, and there's nothing to do with him except feel Zabrach. So, listen to what Mechel Be'er says. Shuv plant within us a seed of light, that we should be able to bring forth in America. A plant of, of sunlight, of Tyree meant, of learning, of Yiddishkeit. Begay Machashakim. Begay Machashakim. In this valley of darkness, he says, we're living in a different kind of darkness now. My own personal darkness and the darkness of this new gullus that we're in. That he says he doesn't understand. He speaks about. He doesn't. He wrote letters. I don't know the language. I don't understand. But we should be able somehow in this place to plant a seed of light and sunshine of Yiddishkeit. Because why did you leave us to survive? Why are we alive? Why? Why do we remain? I have no children, so why did you keep me alive? It must be that you kept us alive to give over something to the New Yorkshire, to the Jews here who are alive, the children, the young people here in America. He says, how can you expect us to plant seeds of light in the children of America? How do you expect us to plant seeds of light of Yiddishkeit in the hearts of our children, meaning the children here in America, in Bonu Yecheshu, if our hearts themselves are filled with such darkness? And the light of our soul, we feel, has been extinguished.
and he ends the king and he says, Shimu, he talks now to his children and to his wife, to their neshama. Shimu neshama is Hashem began Eden. Listen to me, children. Listen to me, he says to his children, to his wife. Shimu neshama is all the neshama is began Eden. Shimu neshama is Hashem began Eden. Bonai, I'm Torah, so I want to tell you something, children. The nation of Torah is not finished. It's not stopping. I'm not going to stop. I know that your bodies, he says, the garments of your soul, the Eretz Ratzach, in the land of murder, the Shatu slaughtered. This is for your bodies. I know, children, that you were burned. You were slaughtered and burned. Achloi Mesu. You haven't died. Gvilim Hadisrafim. The scrolls. The scrolls have been burned. Benachem who not children be comforted. Aksav Netzach. The writing is eternal. Mitzav Emes. And it's going to stand. I'm going to build this yeshiva. There'll be a new generation. The Torah is going to be forever. Mitzav Emes. Standing. True. Shivrei Luchais. Broken Luchais. That's all we are. But Simchuna. Rejoice children. He says to his children. And Shemayim and to all the Jews. Torah Chaya V'Kayemes. The Torah is alive. And the Torah will be forever. This is the kina of a big Jew who gave up everything, and especially he gave up his own Yishev Adas to save other Jews, and he never forgave himself. <coughs> he should be remembered by all of us, and all of the Yidin, to all of the generations, especially this last generation, with parents, grandparents, great-grandparents, that Hashem is Baruch should remember. And that we should ask ourselves the question that the night of asked himself, Lamanay Sarno, Lamanay Sarno, why, why were we left to live? Why are we alive? Lamanay Sarno. The Saha call of Olaf Kinas, the Saha call of Olaf Kinas is to come out in Tishabah, not Chasasom depressed. Not the Yeyush, despair. The Sacha call of all of Kinas is to come out with that question. How are we alive? Why were we spared? It's only a few years. And the answer that the Tzaddik left us was the answer that we have to live with ourselves. Only to plant seeds of sunlight, of light, of, of Teres Hashem. In this last Golas that we're in, and that each and every one of us should be able to overcome the Mahashak and the darkness that's inside each and every one of us, a different kind of darkness. To be able to be heroic people, to learn from the heroes like our Weissmann and other Jews, and to rise up 
give the Bari Olam Nachis. I have to give the Chomet to the Neshamas of our grandparents and great-grandparents and Gana them. which is a Machshor that I live with every minute, to give them Nachis to see that we're trying to go in the right way. And I brought the children, my wife's grandparents are buried in Harazayasim. And I, the children were never there, and I brought the great-grandchildren, my children, that they were too young to, to know them. I remember them. They were tired of Eden. And they buried in Harazayasim, but the children said, look, Bobby Zaydi, look, you have, look, these are Eidim, look, look, they're Mitzvahs. Look at them, they're good children, they're good Jews. And my wife was saying to the children on the side, I heard her, she said it. She says that, thank God, she says, I have, I have graves I can go to, to my, to my grandparents, and to show you to them. But daddy doesn't have any graves to go to. As soon as well, she, she take the coma. And that all of our grandparents, great-grandparents, those who here, all of those parents, they should see us and have nachas from us. That we should be able to go either to their graves or we should be able to just stand up someplace in the world on, on, on Wooden Boulevard to scream out and say, wherever you are, wherever your ashes are, look at us, we're shaming mitzvahs. We're trying to we're trying to be good. We're trying to keep things. We 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 fail many things. We're not the way we the way you were. We're not. But the machashak and the darkness inside is very very strong, and we're still trying to bring a little bit of light. And they should have nachas from us. And the day should come that we should be zeichet to see that in the coming. We should be zeichet to see. Here's a mason of the Gula Hashem. He's a famid. Shem Hayyim Enoch.